0: When you look at the U.S. dollar versus the Canadian dollar, you don't really see the weakness just because the monetary policy between the Fed and the Bank of Canada is very similar.
1: Office vacancy rates continue to rise as hybrid and work-from-home trends take hold. In today's episode, portfolio managers Matt Montemoro, Alfred Lee, and your host, Mackenzie Box, examine what this means for REITs and whether it will get worse before it gets better. They also discuss diversification strategies, trends in gold, and ways to enhance after tax returns. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETF.com.
2: Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and to provide your questions and comments each and every week. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box and Product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today I'm joined with Alfred Lee and Matt Montemuro, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So special thank you to both Matt and Alfred for joining me today.
3: Thanks, Mackenzie. Good to be here. Thanks, Mackenzie. Looking forward to it.
2: All right. Well, let's dive in. Alfred, we'll start with you. Something that we've kind of seen over the years, the office REIT space has experienced higher interest rates, falling asset prices, and decreasing occupancy rates, especially in cities like Toronto. Is this cause for concern for investors or an opportunity given the higher yields?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, with the office REITs, it's definitely One of the categories within the REIT space that has been facing a lot of concerns with investors, a recent report put out by CBRE reported the national office vacancy rate in Canada actually to be 17.7% in Q1. So that's actually an all-time high in Canada. Uh, They also reported the second consecutive quarter of net absorption as well. So that's obviously not good for the office REIT space. And also when you look at some of the trends, I mean, outside of finance, a lot of industries have been slow to come back to the office. So many workers, obviously, since COVID, have been preferring the hybrid model or the work from home model as well. So I think it's going to take a few years just for the office read space to recalibrate. Looking deeper, however, we are starting to see some green shoots um, that are, you know, should be taken as a positive. But obviously, I think we're um, a few years away from, you know, a full recovery in the office read space. But just in terms of looking at those early green shoots, you know, for example, Montreal, London, and Calgary, for example, all three of those cities are reporting net vacancy declines, uh, which is obviously a good sign. Calgary in particular, I think we're seeing a lot of positive developments there where uh, the vacancy rates have declined for three consecutive quarters. A big part of that has obviously been Calgary's office conversion program, where they are converting unreutilized office buildings. and. Essentially repurposing those for residential or some other use. Also, a lot of other buildings that are end-of-life office buildings are also being demolished as well. Uh, So that's obviously helped in terms of reducing supply. Trends like this is something that we are going to start to see in other cities in Canada. Also, you know, south of the border, we're also starting to see some positive signs in the office space as well. So this is more to do on the acquisition level. So You know, SL Green Realty Corp, for example, recently sold a New York property uh, to a Japanese investment firm. So I think, you know, just given with the low valuations with REITs and some of the commercial properties, we may start seeing some acquisitions, which I think is going to be supportive or at least, you know, eventually create a bottom in the office REIT space. But as I mentioned, I think with office REITs, we're probably two to four years away. Essentially for that, you know, turnaround to happen, we need demand to pick up. We also need to see some of that supply uh, start coming down as well. One of the major trends that a lot of people are familiar with is, you know, in Canada, we do have a shortage of residential properties. And with, you know, net immigration being close to 500,000 last year, and the number expected to be more or less around that level this year and the next uh, few years to come, um, I think we're going to see a lot of those office buildings potentially repurposed as residential units. So I think that's going to help uh, drive the trend in terms of you know shoring up a lot of that additional supply. Um, over the next few years, I think it's another trend that we're also going to see that's going to be favorable uh, for office REITs is that a lot of firms potentially will move back to an office model where it's going to be less reliant on work from home and also less reliant on uh, hybrids. Some of the general kind of uh, themes out there is that you know a lot of companies are reporting that it's very hard to build culture, especially with a lot of those newer employees uh, that have been hired during COVID or after COVID. In terms of playing the REIT space, I think a good way to play it is through a REIT ETF. So for you know, uh, ZRE, which is our equal weight REIT ETF, I think that's a good way to play it. Because in addition to the office REIT exposure, which as we mentioned, I think it's a longer term play. It's a, it's a value play that definitely needs a catalyst before some of those names start turning over. In addition to the office REIT exposure, you're also getting exposure to a lot of other sub-industries. So industrial REITs, for example, uh, Granite Summit, Dream Industrial have all been um, industrial-related REITs that have fared very well over the last you know, six months. Uh, residential REITs have also been performing very well over the last six months. So have the healthcare facilities um, such as Charwell, Charwell also has you know, favorable demographics as a tailwind as well. And even the retail-oriented REITs, which obviously had a very hard time during COVID, uh, we are starting to see some life in the retail REITs as some of the traffic is you know, starting to come back into those retail-oriented REITs as well. So again, to play REITs, I think um, using a diversified REIT is a good way to play it, especially if interest rates start coming down beyond 2024. Uh, ZRE, again, which is our equal weight REIT ETF, has a 4.9% distribution yield. So that's net of management fees. So I think that's a good way to kind of weight out the potential headwinds in the office REIT space. Um, so far, ZRE is up 2.6% year to date, underperforming the TSX. But again, this exemplifies you know the benefits of an ETF. You're getting that diversification, the undervaluation in the office REIT space, but you're also getting some of the subcategories within the REIT space that are better positioned for the short term.
2: Great. Thanks, Alfred.
1: Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS.
2: Now, we're going to switch gears a bit. Matt, we'll pass it over to you. Where should investors look to diversify their Canadian fixed income holdings? And are there any fixed income ideas that should be considered from the U.S.?
3: Yeah, Absolutely, Mackenzie. And with yesterday's Fed meeting, you know, we saw yet another interest rate hike, You know, another 25 basis points. So the, the Fed followed the lead of the Bank of Canada earlier this month to bring their overnight rate to about 5.5%. So you know the Fed communication is still warning of another 25 basis point hike this fall. You know the the market had fully priced in a hike yesterday, but I think it's a little less certain about what's to come if uh, if we will actually see another hike come to fruition. You know the market seems to think that with headline inflation with a three percent handle that we're seeing, you know this might be it for rates. We might have raised rates to a, a sufficient level. So you know for investors, if we're looking forward, if we're looking for ideas, you know adding u s exposure to a core canadian centric fixed income portfolio is extremely helpful. You know first, you can diversify away from you know the Canadian economy. I think that's helpful from a portfolio context perspective. Investors get uh, exposure to a much deeper issuer and sector pool, enabling you to take advantage of you know some more counter cyclical uh, industries that should perform well if we do see uh, a meaningful economic slowdown. The Canadian economy is very concentrated by both issuer and sector profile. You know, So this diversification, I think, is welcome from a total portfolio perspective. I think it allows you to weather some of the, the downside a little bit easier. It'll help uh, weather the storm, if you will. And then from there, many of the same yield curve dynamics that we see in Canada are also apparent in the U.S., So you know they are also experiencing a prolonged uh, inversion. Uh, I do think that continues to present an opportunity for fixed income investors. So if I was looking, I definitely would consider U.S. exposure within my fixed income portfolio. I think it adds great diversification benefits. And then where do I target in, in the U.S. market? So I would narrow in on the short end of the curve to take advantage of those higher shorter term yields, take advantage of that inverted yield curve from a risk return perspective, I think this continues to be the sweet spot for investors. So you can earn a higher yield while taking less interest rate exposure or less duration exposure. I think that that's ideal. So I would stay short and I would uh, personally focus in investment grade credit. If I'm comparing government investment grade high yield, I look at uh, investment grade spreads and and I I see that they sit wider than their 10-year averages. And I think that provides some upside for investors on a go-forward basis. In the short end, investors can take investment grade. So again, this is triple B rated and above credit exposure, and earn about a five point five to six percent yield for very little duration risk. You know, again, I, I think that is a sweet spot for investors and something that you know, if we look back five years it's not something we would have even fathomed. We would have had to go to emerging markets, go to high yield, and I think uh, investment grade credit provides a great opportunity there. I prefer investment grade to high yield right now, as I think that, that high yield issuers will begin to feel the crunch of higher rates. You know, I think refinancing will stress a lot of business models, and I think we'll see an uptick in defaults in, in, in the high yield space. To allocate here, to, to look at the market and to add that US exposure to my core portfolio, Again, I would look at the short end, and I would look at corporate exposure. So we offer uh, several ETFs that I think are extremely well-positioned for this environment. So ZUS.U, the BMO Ultra Short-Term US Bond ETF, focusing on high-quality investment-grade exposure with less than one year to maturity. And you have ZSU, the BMO Short-Term US Investment-Grade Corporate Bond Hedge-to-CAD Index ETF. Uh, I know that's a mouthful, but basically, it's, again, investment-grade exposure, one to five years. So, again, you're hugging the short end. You're taking advantage of those wider credit spreads. And I think both of those ETFs are extremely well-positioned and would be an excellent complement to a traditional core fixed-income portfolio.
2: Great. Thanks, Matt. Alfred, passing it back to you. Gold was on the rise this year, breaking over two thousand dollars per ounce uh, before retreating in the recent months. What's been driving this demand?
0: Yeah, so gold is something you know we definitely highlighted at the beginning of the year as you know something to keep an eye on. Earlier this year, gold did hit a high of twenty fifty an ounce before retreating back to about nineteen hundred U.S. dollars per ounce. Uh, Currently, it's trading about nineteen sixty per ounce. we did see the gold vix uh, hit a high about 22 this year before settling to about 12 and a half, which is currently where it's sitting right now. But I would say you know over the short term, the price has really been driven by two factors. So one of that has obviously been the U.S. dollar. So coming into the new year, I think it was pretty evident to the market that the central bank that was the furthest ahead in terms of taming inflation was the Fed. Arguably, you know the Bank of Canada was a close first or second, but I think just from a monetary policy perspective, it was probable that you know the relative rates between the Fed and other central banks outside of Canada, the Fed was probably going to be raising rates at a slower pace than other regions around the world. so that would translate to US dollar weakness. One thing that we mentioned you know in other podcasts is that you know when you look at the US dollar versus the Canadian dollar, you don't really see the weakness just because the monetary policy between you know, the Fed and the Bank of Canada is very similar. However, when you look at the U.S. dollar index, which is the trade weighted basket of the U.S. dollar versus, you know, six other currencies, that's when the U.S. dollar weakness is a lot more evident. So when you look at the U.S. dollar index, you know, it's been losing a lot of strength uh, year to date, which is very positive for gold. Even when you pull up a one-year correlation chart on gold, when you look at gold and the U.S. dollar index, it's essentially inversely correlated at this point. So again, you know, I think with the US dollar expected to weaken, um, I think that's going to be a positive for gold. But you know, just in terms of gold prices moving lower over the you know last couple of months, a big part of that is more to do with technical. So when you look at gold, it trades very technically. When it reaches above a price of $2,000 an ounce, typically what happens is it tends to be met with a lot of sellers there. What that has to do more with is there's just psychology of investing in gold. I think a lot of people just aren't comfortable with you know gold prices being well above two thousand dollars. But I think when you think longer term, there are a lot of you know secular reasons that will convince investors that you know gold potentially will move above two thousand dollars. So some of those factors are you know de-dollarization. So we've talked about that a number of times on previous podcasts. You know we don't think the U.S. dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status. Uh, just because when you look at the world financial infrastructure, all of that is built around the U.S. dollar. So, you know, I do, we don't think the U.S. dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status anytime in the near future. But there has been a fair degree of growing commentary or, or wants from other nations that want to move away from the U.S. dollars just from a diversification standpoint. So the most notable headline uh, came from the BRICS nation. So that's Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. So they're looking to establish a unified currency that's backed by gold. So that's essentially in the works. So that's going to be positive for gold. Also, when you look at central bank buying, uh, Turkey, China, Singapore, and India, all in 2022 and already, you know, in the first quarter of 2023, have been buying gold at a, essentially a record pace. So that's a sign that they want to diversify away from the U.S. dollar, which again is going to be a positive for gold. But you know, as we mentioned, over the long term you know, the demand for gold looks to be very strong um, over the short term, we probably get some volatility. I think, you know, Matt raised some good points just in terms of the Fed. Um, a recent report came out uh, from the Fed that there's a bigger dissenter between uh, doves and hawks. So that probably introduces a little bit of interest rate volatility, which should translate to U.S. dollar volatility, which is going to affect gold prices. But again, I think over the long term, a lot of those secular trends that we talked about are going to be favorable for gold. And just in relation for gold stocks, when you look at the the gold futures curve right now, uh, that's upward sloping or what they call contango. So that usually is a good sign for gold stocks. Um, just typically, if you are a gold company, for example, um, think of it as you're pulling or extracting gold out of the ground at spot prices and then selling it in the future at a higher price. So again, you know, gold stocks are a good way to get more of a leverage play on gold prices. Um, ZGD, which is our equal weight gold ETF, that was up 30% at at one point um, earlier this year before retreating. But again, that's a good way to get exposure to gold. Um, We don't think you need a lot of exposure in the portfolio. I think if you have 3% to 5% in ZGD, that's a good way to get exposure to uh, gold prices uh, through the gold companies, which is going to give you a little bit more of that inherent operating leverage uh, to gold prices.
2: Great. Thanks,
4: Alfred. Amid high interest rates and market volatility, consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over 6%. The BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. And the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZWU, ZWB, and ZWC.
2: Last but not least, Matt, we'll pass it back to you. Investors continue to look for tax-efficient ways to navigate the bond market and the discount. Bond market remains very topical. How should investors think about their exposure in terms of aggregate discount exposure and corporate exposure or even short-term exposure?
3: For taxable investors, it's extremely important to be aware of the tax implications of any investment that you make and you know, how that might impact your returns, or, or more specifically, how that impacts your after-tax returns. You know we offer a suite of discount bond funds as you as you had mentioned Mackenzie that can help investors maximize those after tax returns while not having to give up anything in terms of exposure. I think that's that's the trade-off that we're trying to provide here providing that that aggregate exposure or that targeted exposure depending on the investor need but doing so in a, more tax aware or tax efficient manner that allows investors to, to really maximize what they're keeping in terms of returns in their pocket. So, you know, if, you, if I go through our suite, our discount bond suite, uh, it starts with ZDB, so our BMO discount bond index ETF. That provides tax efficient aggregate bond exposure to the Canadian universe. So that can be paired with. You know, let's call it ZAG. That's the equivalent of our discount bond for ZAG. So, our BMO aggregate bond ETF. We also have uh, a little bit more targeted exposure for investors. So, ZSDB, our BMO short term discount bond ETF. And again, that's providing one to five year aggregate exposure to the Canadian universe. And then, for those who want a little bit more of a corporate flavor or targeting an, on those corporate spreads, those wider corporate spreads that I had discussed. ZCDB, BMO Corporate Discount Bond ETF, provides one to 10 year corporate bond exposure, allowing investors to really target in, take advantage of higher corporate yields, taking advantage of those spreads for investors who want a little bit more income from their portfolio. This suite, I think, gives taxable investors the tools they need to manage their fixed income p- portfolio for the period ahead. And I think all three can, can provide excellent building blocks of how an investor who is concerned about tax but doesn't want to give up you know exposure can use all three of them to provide uh, better after-tax returns in the, in the period ahead. So how would I look at allocating them? I would use a combination of all three, and again, use that ZDB providing that core that full term exposure you know giving you exposure to federal provincial corporate bonds but also giving you exposure to the long end which would be maybe a, a little bit of a an offset to some of the volatility in your p- portfolio if we do see an economic slowdown ahead so you know zdb that's the core of my portfolio then i would complement that by uh, you know i said this in the other answer and i and i do believe it in canada as well I think the short end has a lot of value, and I think the corporate space has a lot of value right now. I think both look very attractive on a go-forward basis. So I would complement that core position, and I would look to uh, shorten my duration overall by using ZSDB. That would give me that aggregate short-term exposure. And then I would use ZCDB to really beef up my corporate exposure, taking advantage of those wider spreads, locking in those higher yields on both the short end and the corporate space, really maximizing the income return and the uh, yield return that I'm getting from, from my bond portfolio, but by still being invested full term with that ZDB so that I have exposure during any type of economic environment that we see ahead. So you know, I would use both ZSDB and ZCDB to achieve that targeting and really look to, to overweight the short end and the corporate side along with ZDB. So you can see with this product suite, investors are able to be tax aware. They can make prudent decisions that focus on after-tax returns, not just pre-tax returns. I think that's something, especially in Canada, that we have to focus on given the, the way uh, different investment types are taxed the one part that's important to understand is that you don't have to give up specific exposures to be tax aware. And then that's what our discount bond uh, suite does. And I think you know, we really focus on the end client, the investors after tax returns here to maximize that and provide a diversified exposure base for, for a lot of investors. I do think that there's a lot of value in our discount bond suite, and it's definitely very topical in today's market.
2: Great. Thanks, Matt. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to our podcast and a special thank you to both Alfred and Matt for providing some great insights as always. And with that, I just want to thank everyone. Wish you all a great day and we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Matt Montemoro, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Equal Weight REITs Index ETF, ticker ZRE, which provides exposure to office suites as well as sub-industries, including industrial and healthcare REITs. Our experts also discussed long-term trends in gold. The BMO Equal Weight Global Gold Index ETF, ticker ZGD, invests in global gold mining equities. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at bmoetfs.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed
4: by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management, Inc. and BMO Investments, Inc. operate.